Amen. Please be seated. We'll turn now in for our reading of God's holy words to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to be reading this week from verses 22 to 38 of this chapter. In our last sermon on this series, we were looking at the first half of this prayer, this prayer of revival, where God moved in his people and brought them to him. To a place where they were closer to him. In awe of him. In awe of him. And we were looking very much in that last sermon. At the attitude of that prayer. The attitude of that prayer. And now as we look at the second half. We're going to look at the purpose of this prayer. Uh, It's purpose. For as important as feelings are. And as important as our attitude is, uh, there must be something produced out of it. There is a purpose to this prayer. If I could speak to the children for a moment. I wonder if any of you have ever gotten in trouble with your parents. And you're probably thinking, I can't remember any time when I've been in trouble with my parents. No, no. But... Imagine you have two boys. They have made a mess of the kitchen. They found the ketchup bottle and they decided to paint the walls. Now, they come to their parents, both of them, apologizing. We are sorry for what we have done. Mommy, Daddy, please forgive me. Now, one boy doesn't do that again. But the other boy immediately does it again the next day. Which one is sincere? Which one meant his apology? And which one do you think really was sorry for doing what they had done? And of course, it is the person who didn't go back to doing it again. And this is a very simple way of thinking about the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is not just we say sorry and go back to our old ways, is it? The purpose of prayer is that we are changed. God changes us. So let us hear now God's holy word as we read from Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 22 to 38. Let us hear God's Word. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner, so they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land. 
and they might do to them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled, and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their back, and killed your prophets. Who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies. Who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you. And you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies you gave them saviors. Who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest. They did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments." But sinned against your rules. Which if a person does them. He shall live by them. And turned a stubborn shoulder. And stiffened their neck. And would not obey. For many years you bore with them. And warned them by your spirit. Through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand. Of the people's. Of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers. And all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have been, for you have dealt faithfully and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests and our fathers have not kept your law. Or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom. Enjoying your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them. They did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our 
priests. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. The passage we just read here is God's people praying before a holy God they have offended. Verse 5 talks of the leaders praying before Almighty God. Now before we dive into this, let us come before Almighty God and let us pray for revival in our day. Please stand if you're able. Let us call now on Almighty God. Father, Lord God in heaven, what a joy it is to read your word. Father, Lord God in heaven, revive us, we pray. O Lord, in your hand is life. And Father, with you is forgiveness and mercy and hope. Father, as we examine this prayer of your people before you, may we learn much. And may we learn much of his purpose. May we be changed too by it. Oh, Father. Please, we beg of you, O Lord, show mercy once again to this part of the world which you have richly blessed. Though we have turned many times away from you, please, O Lord, turn unto us. May your face shine upon us that we would glorify your name. Oh Lord, please save multitudes in our day. Be merciful, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. God's people in this prayer have come before Almighty God. And as we looked at our last part of this prayer of revival, we looked at the attitude. And in that attitude, they came in awe. They came in allegiance, loyalty before God. They came in admiration of who he was. And they also came in acceptance that what he does and what he has done is just, righteous, and holy. But as we looked at that attitude, is that enough? Uh, or put it another way, does it stop there? The danger is we may think, well, as long as there's enough tears or religious feeling, then that is enough before Almighty God. But is it truly? Does prayer, if truly meant, we apologize before God and we cry out to Him for forgiveness? Do we return back to the sin and the squalor of which we have said we have repented of? We ask for forgiveness of. It goes far more than just attitude. Our awe, our attitude of allegiance, our attitude of admiration, our attitude of acceptance before God and accepting who he is will change not just our heads but our hearts 
and also our hands. We need to apply these truths to our lives. And we need to realize what needs to change. It's not God who needs to change, is it? God is perfect. God is holy in all his dealings. It is us, dear friends, who need to change. We all fall short of the glory of God. And as in this prayer, we see God moving his people, moving them in such a way that they are changed. So that's what we're going to look at here this morning. Uh, The purpose of this prayer of revival, where they are changed. They're changed in these ways which we're going to look at. Number one now, seeing privileges. Seeing privileges. This purpose of seeing privileges. Verses 22 down to 25. We'll just read a few sections of this part of Nehemiah 9. Verse 22, moreover, you gave them kingdoms and nations and divided them into districts. Verse 23, you also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. Start of verse 24, so the people went in and possessed the land and subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. And at the end of verse 25, so they ate and were filled and grew fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. In your great goodness. In the course of this prayer, the great things that God has done are mentioned. See the land around you. This prayer is saying, In a sense, this is all from God's hands. Here are things you did not plant, but you have been given by way of inheritance. Could even say to the young people here this morning, see your parents. God has blessed you with those parents. God has given them to you. Isn't that wonderful? See the toys that you have to play with throughout the week. God has given them to you. See the food on your table. All the food. It all comes from God. God gave it to you. Now you may be thinking, well mommy and daddy work very hard for that food. And we may not look any further than that. But we should. Who gave your mommy and daddy the strength? To prepare that food. Where did that come from? It all comes from the hand of God. God is the one above all who provides us everything we need. uh, The breath in our lungs and the heart beating in our chest. It's so easy isn't it though? If we don't think like this to take things for granted. We can just think that food merely comes from the Tesco delivery man and think no further of it. Yes, we should think further of the hard work of the farmer, but even further than that, the work of God. The sovereign hand of God bringing it to us. Because otherwise, if we don't think of these things, we will not 
appreciate them. We will take them for granted. And we will forget where they come from. And we will forget how wonderful of a privilege they are. Because in the course of this prayer, they are seeing their privileges in a way that they hadn't seen before. Verse 22, you gave them. Moreover, you gave them. God gave them. God gave them kingdoms and nations. The car that has brought you to church here this morning. That's all from God. For much of human history, people would have walked miles to church. Uh, The the fridge that you enjoy in your home. For much of human history, they didn't even have fridges. The things we take so for granted all comes from God. But what happens when we're, we're comfortable? What happens when we don't feel that sense of struggle And we don't feel our dependence and see our dependence upon God at times. Well, Moses warned the people of God, didn't he? On the opposite side of Jordan, when they're about to enter into the promised land. And he warned them, solemnly warned them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which we're going to turn to briefly here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Moses warned the people of God before they went into a land of plenty this. Verse 11, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied, And all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God. Brought you out of the land of Egypt. What is the danger? The danger in verse 17 is pointed out here by Moses. As he speaks to God's people. And warns them. Then you say in your heart. My power and the might of my hand. Have gained me this wealth. All that the land of Canaan was all. By God's grace. Given to them. And the danger is when they were comfortable. When they went over the Jordan. When they went in to possess the land that God would give them. That they would be comfortable. In the way they weren't in the wilderness. And they would forget. Where all these blessings came from. We're so. Most of the time we can start to think. It's our work. And we start to depend. On our. Selves. And so we become unthankful when we think like that. And when we become unthankful, we can start to complain and we stop to see the great privileges that God has given us, the great privileges that it is to be in the presence of God's people here this morning. And we forget so easily that we need to keep reminding ourselves of the wonderful blessings of Almighty God. It's easy, talk to the parents here for a while, it's easy to forget as well, isn't it, that the blessings of being a parent. We're, we're tired, maybe you have to get up in the middle of the night, you're exhausted, maybe you're having difficulty with one of your children. But remember the blessing that you have children, and how many people do not? 
There, there maybe life isn't as we imagined it at this stage of our life. But God has given you all these wonderful things that you have. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you're an uncle. Maybe you're an aunt. Thank God for these wonderful things that God has given us. We could always, we always want more, don't we? We always want more. But let us be thankful for the great privileges that we have with God. Let us rejoice. And friends, these are just some of the privileges we have. Just some. The next purpose we're going to look at is after seeing privileges. Number two, seeing pride. Number two, seeing pride. We would think, you know, God has given them all these things. So disobedience, if we think about it, seems unthinkable. It just seems so ungrateful, doesn't it? When we we look at the Old Testament sometimes and go, how could they keep doing this over and over again? But brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the same tendency that they had. And we have the same uh, natural inclination towards rebellion, but for the grace of God. We are always in danger of forgetting our privileges and therefore pride will come in. And verses 26 and 27 speak of this. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets. Who testified against them. To turn them to yourself. And they were great provocations. The, the pride. Not only did they turn from God. They, they killed the very ones who were transmitting the message. Who were bringing the message of hope and grace. And without Christ. That is all of us. That is all of us. Verse 27. Therefore you deliver them into the hands of their enemies. Pride. Pride. It is a great enemy within all of our hearts. It is a great dangerous thing because often we are the last people to see our own pride, aren't we? We are the last ones. We're we're happy to see the pride of others. But do we see our own pride? Pride caused the first man, Adam, to fall. Pride caused Lucifer, that that glorious created angel, uh, to fall. God hates pride. It is stubborn defiance against God. If we think of another example to show how the danger of pride, think of Sodom. What is the sin that you think of when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah? We think of, off the top of our heads, people think, ah, it was homosexuality. Yes, and that was prevalent in that day. But what was the source of their problems? It tells us in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, look. This was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. Notice how they were satisfied. They weren't thankful. Fullness of, fullness of food and abundance of idleness 
neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty. This is speaking about Sodom. Sodom. Pride was manifested here also in God's people. And pride makes us unthankful. And pride makes us blind to the wonderful privileges that we just spoke about earlier. The wonderful blessings. But here, God's people, they see their pride. They see the source of the sufferings and the struggles that they went through. And they're owning it. They're saying... We have sinned against you. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. Our fathers, they they rebelled against you. The reason we are in the trouble we are in is because of sin. It is not because of God. It is not because of God. It is our pride. And we need to see that. We need to see that. God brings just punishment. And he cares For the welfare of his people. He loves his people. When God saves a sinner. He gives him a new nature. One that hates pride. One that hates pride. And I ask you here this morning. Do you hate pride? Not just the pride of. Perhaps the neighbor next door you disagree with on something very important to you. Or perhaps that family member you just can't get on with and is so stubborn. I'm talking about your own pride. We all have pride. We all wrestle with it. We all struggle with it. But do we hate it and wish to put it to death? And to turn from our pride, have we turned to Christ Have we turned our backs on that pride as they were doing here? God's people in this prayer turning their backs on this rebellion because they were condemning it. They were condemning it. They were seeing that this was prideful and this is the source of their problems. Now... We may be tempted to think, well, perhaps they didn't have good influences. If they just had better influences. Um, There's a lot of people think, well, people are basically good, aren't they? And if they just had the right environment around them, that that would fix everything. That that would fix everything. But even with rest from hard times, what does it say in verse 28? But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. They'd learned the lessons. They'd seen where sin and rebellion took them. But after rest, after a period of this, they returned to their old sin, filled with pride. And without Christ, friend, that is us. That is all of us. We may come before the throne of grace, but unless we have Christ, unless That old man has been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. But but Christ. He is the one who nailed those sins to his cross. Unless that old man has been put to death. We are without hope. We're, We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to that pride. We're slaves to the same pride described here. Returning to our old ways. We We may say sorry. 
but we are still slaves. When God saves a sinner, He delivers them. He makes them free. And no, our faith is not perfect. And no, our repentance is not perfect either. But there is a difference. And there is a change in our attitude. In our behavior toward God. It brings us closer to God. Revival here brings us ever closer to God. In our head, in our heart, and in our hands. Brings us closer to God. Sometimes the medicine... It's hard to deal with. Pride is a bitter thing to hear about. But while the medicine may be bitter at first. It soon becomes sweet. Because the medicine is Christ. Number three now. Seeing patience. Seeing patience. I don't know about you but. I think I speak for all of us here when I say that patience is something that we all struggle with. We all struggle with. Um, And it's so easy, especially in our day, to seek to want to give up so quickly, isn't it? Uh, We have a, a society that is not used to waiting for things. I often think of, you know, sometimes, oh, the Amazon parcel is going to take an extra day. Remember years ago it would have taken weeks for packages to come from around the world and the post and packaging would have been really expensive. Patience is not something that comes naturally to us. But there is one who is patient and gracious and kind and loving and that is God. Verses 30 and 31. Yet for many years you had patience with them. After all this, time and time again returning to their old ways. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them. For you are God, gracious and merciful. Gracious and merciful. Even if we sinned just once. And that was the only thing that stood against us. That sin alone, because of the one who it is against, would be enough to send us to hell. Now of course this is not the case. We've sinned many times. We've sinned countless times. But it is not just because we've sinned countless times. We have sinned. And so we have sinned. We are in need of a savior. Our best moment on this earth. The the day we're proud about the most. In isolation. If we could present it before the throne of grace. Would send us to hell. Alone. We all Need God's mercy. I say this because it's not our bad days that send us to hell. It is our sins that will send anyone to hell. But there are so many people around the world, aren't there? There are billions of people around the world without Christ. 
without hope. Should we not marvel at the mercy and the patience of God that He holds out His hand, calling lost sinners to faith and repentance in Him, calling them all to Him? And they don't, many don't. If we see our own sin, truly see our own sin, we marvel at the patience that God has with us. Perhaps you're here this morning and you could be here this morning without Christ. God is being so patient with you. And you might say, how do you know? How could you possibly know that God is being patient with me? You are still alive. You are hearing the gospel. The word of God is being presented before you. The invitation to come and embrace Christ has been placed before you. That is the patience. That is the mercy. That is the love of the Savior. You have no idea if you will get another opportunity to come to Christ. If you are still here, God is patient with you. And God does not delight in the death of the wicked. It says in Ezekiel 33:11, "Say to them as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and Live, turn, turn from your evil ways. And why should you die, O house of Israel? Why should you die without Christ? He is so patient with you here this morning. God is patient and merciful, gracious. And he calls upon you, what? To work for your salvation? No. To look to him and to trust in him and to cease to trust In your own ways. And your own works. He calls upon you here this morning. To look to him. You might say it just sounds so simple. It is. But the problem is our hearts. The problem is our sin. And that keeps us from God. That keeps us slaves and in bondage to sin. But his patience. Friends will run out one day. To those who are outside of Christ. And oh should we not marvel at his patience. To, to billions of people around the world. Who have been given rain and sunshine. And the good blessings of this world. And yet they have not bowed the knee to Christ. The patience that God shows. And even the greater patience that God shows. With his people. Through Jesus Christ. In verse 33. Says this, however, you are just in all that has befallen us. You have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. We have done wickedly. The problem is us. We can be impatient with God at times, can't we? And it's so easy to become impatient. It's so easy. And the devil would love for us. To be impatient with God. But God is patient with us. And 
as we examine and see how wonderful he is, may it encourage us to be patient with others. We'll often have to be patient with one another, won't we? Family members. Perhaps even church leaders. You have to be patient with. Patient with others. We are sinners. If God is patient with sinners. Let us also be patient with sinners. Our final point now this, this morning. Seeing promise. Seeing promise. There is a great purpose to this prayer. It is not some unknown change. Sometimes we might say sorry. And we were not very precise in how that change comes about. Where we bind ourselves or commit ourselves to change. But the prayer of revival brings us to a place of promise. A place of covenant before God promising to God we will turn from our sins and turn to what is good in him verses 36 and 38 here we are servants today and the land that you have gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty here we are servants in it here we are servants in it in verse 38 and because of all this we make a sure Covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. They put their seal to it almost like they sign it. Remember, well, before we read the scriptures this morning, children, I gave you that illustration of those two boys. One boy said sorry, but returned to what he did. Wrong. The other boy said sorry but didn't. And of course it's that second boy. Who didn't return. To that thing he apologized for. Was most likely sincere. That is repenting. That is turning from sin. It produces a change in our lives. Now we're not perfect. We're not perfect this side of eternity. But revival brings before the church and ourselves what needs to change before God. Revival brings God's people in prayer and otherwise to promise, to covenant before God. And then this is the reason for our denomination. The Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland. Our covenanters as we're also called. We're not our own denomination because we simply sing the Psalms. Most Presbyterians sung the Psalms about 100 to 200 years ago. We are covenanters because these islands. Today, Ireland, Scotland, England and Wales. Promised before Almighty God. Publicly. All levels of society. To follow God. And to implement changes. About the best practices that they had learned from the word of God. And they promised to place Christ. Where he ought to be. As the head of church and state. And they was very, very clear in those promises. 
that promise of 1643, we still believe and we make promises before binding ourselves to that promise that Christ is the head of the church and Christ is the head of the state. We need to take, don't we, vows seriously once again. The world doesn't take vows seriously, does it? I'll give one example. Look at marriage today. Look at people in public office. It's very clear. People do not take their vows before God very seriously. They're broken as soon as they're made. But we need, as God's people, to take our vows before God seriously. And friends, we praise God that next week there will be two elders and, and there will be deacons being installed and ordained. We will be taking vows. They will be taking vows before God. Let us pray for them. Let us pray for our own vows. Where we have fallen short of our own vows before God, may we seek to recommit ourselves to those vows. That when we cry out before God and we say, Lord, forgive me. I have fallen short of the glory of God. That we commit ourselves to what we will do in the place of that sin. Prayer is speaking to God, isn't it? Very, very simply, it's speaking to God and it is a wonderful, wonderful privilege. But in praying to God, do you seek to be like Him? Do you want to be like Him? If the answer is no, are you still in your sin? Are you still lost? But if the answer is yes, praise God at His work of the Spirit of Almighty God. Friends, come to Him in prayer. Come to him that he would change you and conform you to the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.